Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective, the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A student's perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www.astudentsperspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact University Hall of Innovation at gmail.com. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of A Student's Perspective. My name is Natalia Colasurdo, and today I'm talking with Greg from Taller Ken. It's so nice to meet you, Greg. Um, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. For everyone watching here. Uh, hi, my name is Greg Malikanov. Um, I'm the partner and director of Taller Ken. Uh, it's a firm founded in 2013 uh, with uh, Ines Guzman, my co-founder. Very nice. Um, before we get started and talking about the firm, would you mind, let's dig, let's dig into your past and maybe about where you started off from school and what you were studying. Uh, yeah, so I um, took a pretty unconventional path to architecture and design. Um, I started uh, studying art and painting, actually. I have a bachelor's degree um, in studio art, actually. Oh. And, um, and uh, architecture and design was just always something I did as a job for uh, pocket money. Uh, I, I learned drafting programs um, pretty early on in high school and just kept working, doing like kitchen and bathroom kind of uh, stuff for offices, but I never saw it as a, um, about, about design at all. Yeah. So you were mainly attracted to the arts first? Yeah. Absolutely. And then, and then, is that how you kind of got introduced to architecture as well, or was that just something that was just on the side and considered separate? Yeah, uh, I think that <clears throat> I think that um, for me, uh, art history is always and architecture history is always kind of um, integral to one another, and so I never lost that um, appeal. I've never been that. Um, attracted to the architecture of what's going on right now in the moment. Um, I'm very much interested in looking back to the past um, mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, contemporary, getting your finger on the pulse. Um, art is a, usually a, a lot more of an inspirational place because it's just kind of a faster and more fluid um, discipline to look at. I guess that would be kind of be like your specialty. You're adding a little bit something more, I guess, than where some people without that art background would necessarily not bring. Yeah, especially when it comes to um, just, um, you know, I, I don't, or we don't as a firm draw a hard line between interior design and, and architecture. We really just yeah. see the 
it's like a continuum. Um, but um, I think when, uh, especially the kind of more traditional way that architects approach interior design, it's mm -hmm. like it's like a weird department within a corporate architecture office where there's just yeah. a lot of carpet sample. It's yeah. really, um, I made it on a jury at a design school, and I made a joke that architects are kind of afraid of using anything more than like three materials in a palette. Um, <laughs> we really take it as the opposite. I mean, we take a lot of pride. It's kind of like a, a gumbo stew or something. Like the more ingredients that you allow to kind of blend together and form the richer outcome. That's very interesting that you have that kind of point of view. I think that again, um, you're just, I just see through your uh, firm's work, the difference, the, uh, it really stands out to me as well. Um, I'm, I just graduated architecture school uh, with an interior architecture degree. So at our school, they consider and they keep us together with, the, with our fellow architect, uh, our architect people who are on track for that degree. They keep us together very close knit and we are taught this basically the same way until we do separate a little bit in our later years. But again, I think that's what first attracted me to that school because they saw it as something integrated, something as that was going to be working together, something that was starting off at the same platform. And I think it makes it that much more successful when you're, when you think of stuff that way as together and not different or separate, same way you were talking about the art and architecture. You can't have art without architecture, you know? So it's very, yeah. It's very close knit like that. Yeah, I, I um I think I think uh some of those traditional ways of thinking about um the discipline of architecture is changing mm -hmm. uh, a bit. And um although it's a very traditional um it's actually one of the most traditional ways to define architecture is just one of seven arts. And um mm -hmm. I think the more that we think about architecture as a place for, let's say, performance and dance and music and art. Um, you know, if you think about Renaissance, Italian mm -hmm. architecture, painting and sculpture is integral to the walls, right? It's, it's like, um, you can't have one, as you said, you can't have one without, without the other. And I think the more people think about their designs as um, infrastructure containers to make things happen, um, leads to more interesting outcomes absolutely right and i know you brought up italy and i do want to talk a little bit about i know you have some experience in italy practicing if you want to maybe like share a little bit of, uh share with us a little bit about what you did over there or maybe some things that you took away from there and then coming back yeah um so i'm uh i'm a born and raised new yorker um uh, but uh i after graduating i um to Italy to work for Renzo Piano at his Genoa office. Um, that's where Ines and I met. We were both um, part of the design team that worked on the Whitney Museum uh, in downtown Manhattan. And uh, so we, uh, that project uh, was a, a fast track project. So during my short stint at Renzo Piano's office, I saw the project go from a, a block of foam uh, to um, the, the topping of the construction site. So really got to see the whole process of a major... Um, from start to finish, basically. Work of was that, yeah. 
Was that your first time really seeing a project being from like the start to finish? Yeah, actually, um, it, it, uh, we we all were very lucky to be in Renzo's office uh, in the first place. But then also, um, it's very common when you. Uh, I would just like to say that it's it's really necessary that all of you graduating um, or are about to graduate, uh, maybe that year, last year or something. It's really important that the first job that you have out of school uh, is an inspiration to you for the rest of your career. Really, I, I know we all have um, tough choices to make uh, regarding uh, paying the bills and whatnot, but it's really important that um, you set the bar for yourself because it really does um, lay the lay the trajectory for the rest of your yeah, the groundwork for the rest of your career exactly and um and for us um you know we just couldn't have had a better uh launch in that working in an amazing office working on an amazing project working on a project that got built because it's very common that mm -hmm. the, oh um you know this office is hiring because they just got a giant project in a faraway country super exciting they staff up and sometimes it just that the project doesn't always go forward um, according to your personal schedule, and <laughs> and that can be that can be a challenge. It sometimes feel like you're you're kind of on a you get stuck, yeah. And especially I think in our field specifically, it does take a while to really get that gain that experience, gain that uh, that comfort within an office that might be high paced. And I yeah. like how you noted the fact about like, you know, it's very important once we graduate, I think all of us get stuck in our heads and we think that, um, you know, what is out there for us or I need that, I need that big job, but I don't have that experience and that might stop somebody from actually applying. And I think that's where I'm, I'm in that boat right now. And I think it's like, we have to just kind of make that leap, that jump, that jump of faith and apply to all, apply for all the inspiring firms that you might not think you might not have the experience too but i think we need to just put ourselves out there and put ourselves out there like you were saying uh yeah it's, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie it's not it's not easy yeah but uh i as much as possible and um you know uh the, the earlier you do this all for yourselves the better um it's important to establish a north star for yourself as early as possible because then no matter what opportunities come your way, uh, you're always a bit more in the driver's seat knowing mm -hmm. that you're going somewhere and that uh, it allows you to evaluate some of the opportunities that come your way. Um, you know, is this is this good for, for me or is this good for right now? Um, is it good for the long-term or the, or, um, the short-term? And, and so that'll be kind of um, have a little more control, uh, even if the options aren't, you know, your dream job, you're not going to get your dream job every, every time. First, but, yeah. Like, but, you, but it's, but you can control where you end up, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, yeah, I think a lot of people tend to forget that within the midst of all that chaos that you're talking about, whether it's struggling hard hours, that's, you know, it can be uh, a bit touching. Right. But, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're always going to be kind of, um, as a young person especially, asked to carry the load um, in terms of hours and, and putting mm -hmm. work. 
So you want to do that for a reason, you know, especially as someone who owns their own firm can attest to that, you know, all done it. And, uh, and part of, um, part of being in control is, is choosing a place, an environment that makes, makes that, makes that feel like, like school. I, I know, um, everybody puts in the hard hours at school, but it isn't, it doesn't feel like drudgery, right? It's like yeah, self-motivated yeah. and you want to find a work scenario that makes you feel like it's not, it's not um, a chore to be there putting in hours that you're really passionate um, and giving your time. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I guess talking about your firm now going into that, um, did your work in Italy inspire you to open up Taller Ken when you came back that same year? Was that something that like, it was at your turning point that you knew you wanted to start Taller Ken right away? Yeah. Um, so I had at the time, um, finishing, uh, at Renzo's, um, Ines had, um, left a little bit ahead of me and had been working, um, on some small project opportunities, uh, that she got from her home country in Guatemala. And so, um, we had started collaborating on those, um, in my last months in the office. And I really felt that, um, I had kind of given given all of my my blood and sweat and tears to uh, to Renzo, but um, had more to say. Um, and what I found um, just a little bit about what I mentioned before is that there there was really no follow up to that job um, in terms of a major museum project from scratch mm-hmm. from the ground by an amazing architect in 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 a you know, New York in a central place like that. Um, so the only thing to kind of top that experience was going to be to do it ourselves and, and get to do all those other things that, um, frankly, a big firm that has kind of major clients just can't um, experiment at that level. Um, they're just on a whole other trajectory. Uh, yeah. So it allowed us to really, we were very naive, uh, starting like that I have to everyone's say everyone <laughs> I, I don't know I <laughs> I, I hope I not <laughs> I would advise doing it slightly different now knowing what I know but at the same time um I think that we uh where we're at now um it uh it doesn't seem like there was another way to go about it except mm-hmm. through learning by doing um and it's allowed us to figure out what we do well and what we can provide to our clients as, as kind of a, as a specific service and what we, uh, a good place to have the kind of, um, youthful enthusiasm that we, that we still have, which is this, uh, internship program that we developed, um, sort of as a way to make sure that we never lose, um, that kind of youthful energy, even yeah. though I'm, not useful anymore. <laughs> uh, so, but um, back to what I was saying before about finding a great work opportunity to set a template for you. Mm-hmm. Um, Renzo's office always had a very useful vibe, even though some people had been with me for 20 years, 40 years. Um, and so that was something that we, uh, and a family vibe as well, and that's something that we um, took 
the heart and brought with us um, when we set up our own practice. Very nice. Yeah. One of my questions is going to be like, how do you and Inez kind of motivate your staff and how do you guys work within your uh, office? Is it, um, do you guys have a lot of collaboration? Do you guys work in teams? Like I want to kind of know the dynamic of how do you guys work within your office? Um, yeah, we try as much as possible to let everyone have a voice and to let everybody um, really contribute to the project. And that's not just for our internal office, but um, architecture and design was really collaborative. And so um, we feel like the best way is to bring um, the builders to the table as early as possible um, to, as I was kind of saying before, um, find ways that uh, our design proposals can be infrastructure for um, artisans to come in and to really let them show us what they can contribute um, okay. and, and do what they're good at, uh, rather than us kind of design everything 100% and then hope that it gets built at 80% of our group. I, I think that's really um, silly and inefficient way to go about design. I think it's better to kind of just uh, run. From the start, you have said that you kind of incorporate everybody. And I think that's that's an important thing to do because I find that when people feel invested in something or feel that they kind of put a part into it, they feel that much more passionate about it. They're that much more excited about it. They're that much more into it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in architecture where all of the vectors don't point back to one person. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I was very lucky to work uh, one summer um, kind of fixing up Renzo's uh, archive that he has at the base of the office building. And I got a real window into what it's like <laughs> to have a 40 year or 40 plus year career at the top of the profession. Um, but you see that there's all these projects that happen with all these people and the hundreds and hundreds of people that um, have worked over the years to make it happen behind the scenes. And so um, I think giving people an, a, a role um, as we were given on the with me at a very early age, um, mm -hmm. the staff and young people, uh, and then also um, allowing them to feel part of the design process to the point where they can take credit for it um, and feel like they've accomplished something uh, is a really great way to keep people um, invested in the work that they do. And uh, there's a lot to be, oh. yeah, there's a lot to be said with, I think, um, talking about knowing where things come from or knowing how many people have been working on this or how many hands have touched this I want to just thinking about like products like oh like how many artisans have touched this rug and weave these knots so this is something that always comes up with I think once we realize where things come from and how many people it takes to actually make it and come to life we appreciate it that much more so like now knowing that you had you know been a part of that Whitney uh, museum design I can look at that museum now and kind of appreciate a little bit more like wow like you know yeah, so it's just these little, in, these things I, that you pick up, I think, that help people. <laughs> yeah, and I um, I have a lot of, in, I think, uh, to what you're saying, um, it doesn't just end with us, right? Um, mm -hmm. As designers, I think, have a, um, I think that uh, people in general are very interested in the world around them. 
Um, the built environment affects everyone. We all have shared resources, shared space. Mm -hmm. People don't really have a way to access architecture and design. It's, it's just kind of a fancy thing. It's an expensive thing. It's about like furniture shows in Italy and coffee table books and magazines. Um, it really, it really, uh, we as a firm, uh, sorry, we as a profession have a, have a lot of trouble communicating to people who aren't clients. Um, but we have a real trouble communicating to the public about what designers do and, and what the process is and how, like you're saying, how many choices have been made along the way or how many hands have, have um, touched the project. And I think that design that um, orients to that um, ability to educate is really exciting because then that creates a feedback loop so that we as designers understand better what people need and, and want and drive a discussion, not just about fancy, rich people houses. Exactly. I think us as designers, we have like a kind of a social and cultural um, aspect to kind of uphold. We have to be in tune with our society. We have to kind of be in tune with the cultures that we're designing for or around. And I know that's something that at Taller Ken, you guys are very um, adamant about, especially with the range of work that you guys do going from installations, products to like residential, commercial. You guys, can you guys tell me about like, I guess like a kind of full scope. I know you guys do a bunch of different things. So if you guys want to maybe to tell us a little bit about the different projects. Yeah, unfortunately, um, we believe that uh, design and architecture touches all corners. And um, as a business model, it's awful. Uh, let me tell you, uh, like everything else, the more specialized you are, the more um, you can define what your product offering is and the more you can uh, market that product. Um, that's why a lot of interior firms that do kitchen and bathrooms, kitchen and bathrooms, kitchen and bathrooms make a lot of money. So God bless. But <laughs> Uh, that's not us. Uh, so we, um, as you said, we do it all. Um, we've worked on um, fortunate, very, very we've been very fortunate that in the few years that we've been working on our own, we've been lucky to do everything from um, uh, an, an embassy design competition, uh, multi-family, uh, whole city block design. Uh, to very micro installations that are on the furniture scale or the scale of, um, you know, textile art and, and those mm -hmm. kinds of things um, as a way to kind of exercise a little more control and stability. Uh, we, we started our um, annual uh, design build project, which is um, a nonprofit arm of our studio, Fundamental, and that mm -hmm. allows us to really focus on tackling large-scale public space projects um, that are not client-driven. And so that allows us to stay uh, as much as possible in the driver's seat, at least um, for one type of project. Because even though we've done um, commercial retail stores, mm -hmm. um, hospitality projects, uh, single-family residential, multi-family residential, um, a lot of gyms and, and bars and kind of things. Um, we sometimes um, 
as we as we kind of touched on, uh, we just sometimes the projects start and then they don't go all the way through and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so it's a way for us to really, uh, as we were talking about, get our work off of paid and, and into the world. Make it your own, yeah. Yeah, so and allow and allow the allow communities and, and public to kind of influence our that's how we learn, right? So if our design uh, only stays on paper and stays in our minds, we don't know if it was really successful or not um, from a commercial level or from a public perception level. Um, that's how you I learn. I think when you're designing something specific like a bar or a gym, you're kind of designing for a certain clientele. But when you're doing these public installations, I think this is like that chance to kind of get a big, an even bigger outreach. I don't know if you guys have like gotten that feedback and like, how is that feedback different than Absolutely. the ones of those other projects? Yeah, um, it's very interesting. Uh, uh, and again, I'm learning always too. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you, when you design a specific project for a specific client, um, it comes down to taste. Uh, what's your taste? I mean, clearly I like color and pattern. We love that kind of thing. And most design firms out there don't. Um, they, they have a more, there's like a kind of orthodoxy around minimalism and modernism and shine black things with metal. It's all, <laughs> it's just very. Uh, yes, I know exactly. I'm, I'm in New York, right? So, so mm -hmm. kind of, uh, style here that pervades that, that doesn't really um, necessarily click with uh, other parts of the country or whatever. <clears throat> and um, I had a, a person when I, uh, sorry, long answer to your question, mm -hmm. but when I moved back to uh, New York after living in Central America for, for a few years, uh, I, I was presenting our portfolio of work to some potential clients and they said, well, that, that looks good for for Latin America, but I'm not sure if that's going to work here. And I, I thought that was really depressing because they were talking about color and texture and materials and, and using uh, plants, bringing the outside in, things like mm -hmm. that, which we really view as universal principles of design, but somehow they saw that as separate. Uh, only separate and only for, for like the tropics or something. But I think, like, or, how do we know what works and what doesn't work if we don't actually, like, try it and try to implement it? In? I absolutely. think a lot of, I think seeing, like, exactly when I was looking at your work, it reminded me a lot of about Latin America. And I was so excited. It looks so vibrant. Something that, like, I've, that you don't really see a lot of in New York City specifically. But it's very exciting when stuff like that actually is here and it's starting to bring it in. I think that's, again, you're inspiring other people now around NYC to kind of see the work that you're doing and, I think that just shows again how we're kind of teaching each other, showing each other. I think we all kind of learn from each other. So it's it's kind of a brave nod to you. But yes, yeah, sometimes you get those rejections and it's like, why? You know, those frustrating moments. So um, so with clients, um, you're 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 usually um, kind of like a matched pair when it comes to to taste. Uh, either mm -hmm. the client likes what you've done previously or um, the client has sort of something in mind and you're kind of bending yourself to um, match what the client uh, already likes or, or had in mind for the project. Mm -hmm. And um, with our internship, 
Uh, it's really the potential of the idea, the potential of empowering young people to do public work uh, for community community engagement, activation of um, underutilized public space. And that as a message radiates much more broadly um, because people are attracted to the potential. It's not about what necessarily you execute, although when they see what we do with um, young designers, that's <clears throat> the icing on the cake. But it's really the, um, the, the, the idea of the program that people can get behind rather than um, the uh, responding to an individual project, which is the, the opposite case when we're working for specific clients in specific industries. Uh, we have clients that you know, um, it's, it's very common. Um, people don't hire you to design a restaurant until you've designed a few restaurants. Like you, it's, a, it's, a, it's a paradox, but um, people, you have to be um, seeing things from the client perspective. They're investing a lot in, in you, you're, you hold all of their uh, you know, capital uh, for okay. the course of design. And so uh, in order to build a level of trust with the client, uh, you have to demonstrate, uh, you have to demonstrate your uh, qualifications to be financially responsible with, with their project. I know, so client relationships is something that's very important to not only your firm, but as a whole, I think this is something that we should stress like a lot of, because this is something that they don't really teach you in school, how to necessarily interact with uh, representatives of certain product companies or manufacturers. And it's just something that uh, I think should be brought up a bit more. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as, as we touched on, architecture and design is a collaborative discipline and the uh, idea that the architect just sits sits on top of a, a mountain until somebody calls them uh, to do whatever they want is uh, is just not true. So, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, essentially, the the building and construction industry you pointed out is about product. Um, you know, selecting product. A lot of them. You know, a lot and of I feel work. a lot of people tend to forget we're talking about like we have to kind of switch our minds off to the different scales of things in order to really understand them and bring them together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's very interesting uh, what you're saying. I mean, you uh, you could be presenting your your client or, or whoever a, a small cube of marble saying mm -hmm. I like I like this one because it has a little bit of, uh, you know, yellow in the vein or whatever that marble is like available from X number of showrooms, but it really comes from one quarry in Carrera where they've been quarrying it for like millennia. And uh, that, that kind of level of um, the way that the materials we select have an impact, a broader impact, um, but also that our projects are essentially a kind of compilation of products that are for sale from all these different companies and those companies have different levels of corporate responsibility and those kind of things. But my um, general impression from just being in the industry mm -hmm. is that clients or people in general um, don't really know what's behind the paint. Um, you know, whatever the finished surface sees is, is like, is the building. 
to them in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have like X-ray vision to see all of the time layers and stuff. And those layers all add up to something, you know. Correct, and I think we're also learning from representatives and manufacturers as well. We're learning what their products do and how they're made and how they react to different uh, environments. So I think we're it's a constant wheel that we're constantly learning from each other, and we can't forget that. <laughs> companies are a great resource for um, collaboration as well. So uh, they don't necessarily have to just be seen as kind of um, uh, a service provider or a um, or material supplier. Uh, you can approach companies with ideas um, and and try to work work with them. And that's uh, that's been the uh, most uh, rewarding thing uh, about our internship is um, our internship gets all of its materials donated. Uh, wow. We uh, essentially provide just seed funding uh, for the project um, because sometimes you just need a little uh, catch to go buy a hammer or something like that in the, uh, in the heat of the moment. But um, uh, we only work with, uh, for the sort of big moves, uh, we only work with donated uh, or upcycling materials and, and that kind of thing. And that's another... That's another guideline I think that you have set for yourself that is defining you in a way, I guess, that you, if you didn't know already, that is something that defines you and your internship separately. Right, because the projects we do, we try to achieve a certain scale because we believe if the projects aren't at a, at a kind of public scale, mm -hmm. um, there's too many kind of, you know, little, little, uh, there, there used to be a term in the 70s called flop plop art it was like when you have an empty little plaza you just stick a sculpture there because there's there's nothing better to do but it's not really talking to anybody um and it's usually like very un unwelcoming and unfriendly in the name of of art yeah. um but uh a lot of times there these kind of little pavilion things uh still exist in the design community uh, and we believe in doing things that are at a at a scale that's big enough to really attract everybody because once it's kind of big and bold and bright it's like a firework right yeah it doesn't stay forever it doesn't have to be perfect but if it's at a certain scale it's going to draw uh, a broad swath of attention um, and we the only way to achieve that um, without budget is to bring <laughs> sponsor companies and they are more than happy every company in the world has a factory with a bunch of unsold product and they are more than happy to donate that for a good cause because they want to be part of their community as well a community of designers and a community of um of local people yeah, and just people who actually are i guess caring and are taking note of what's happening around us in our environment all these products that are going to waste. Like I, I've worked in resource libraries before. I just know how much products are being wasted. There's, there's so much. And if we can take all of this and use it for something else, you know, it's it just, again, circles back around. Um, Sorry. Uh, you'll find a lot of people in those, in those showrooms where you go to get those products are all trained designers. Yeah, so, you're absolutely right. They're they're happy to do so again. They're happy to do something 
outside of the norm. Um, so you just have to let them know as, uh, again, it's about choosing your own path as a, as a young person. You just have to let people around you know that you're interested in doing things in a different way and why and sort of share your story. And people will become attracted to that and, and want to help and want to collaborate. Yeah. Um, it's good how you said some people in those showrooms are actually designers. And it's true because a lot of, I've talked to a lot of reps and they they did the nine to five desk job, you know, and that just wasn't for them. And they found a different fit within our multifaceted industry. You don't have to be at a, at a desk job nine to five. You can be out there doing design build projects. You can be out there being a, maybe they were just more inclined to the sales of the products that they were actually specking. So it's really great to just, I guess, pay attention to like all of the different facets that we can actually go into in this industry. Yeah. And uh, that's why we, that's why we started the program uh, as um, a way to kind of bridge the knowledge gap on your program sounds uh, like, it's very uh, geared towards doing that in the first place. But uh, the architecture and construction industries is such a, such a broad swath of, of, our, of our world um, that touches so many corners. And uh, I think we maybe focus a little too much on just, you know, designing opera houses or, or kind of special buildings uh, mm -hmm. in school. And, uh, and so it's, it's really interesting to see how people can kind of um, make different paths through this industry to drive change. Absolutely right. Um, I guess to kind of switch it up a bit, um, I know you are an adjunct teacher at NYIT, correct? Yeah. Um, how has that, I guess, new role as a teacher kind of helped you reflect on either your past school days or are there things that you've seen that have changed or that haven't changed? Any few things that really stand out to you? Yeah, uh, I think as a, um, a, a teacher, I now really try to encourage from day one uh, asking my students why are they here um, in terms of, maybe I'll ask you this, uh, in terms <laughs> of an architecture uh, or design memory. Um, what is the first time you remember being in a sort of special space? What is what are the things that are driving you here? Um, and the intra the the responses are amazing because uh, you know one student had this uh, amazing experience where they were um, their mother was a nurse and they would uh, go to the hospital with their mother when they were a kid, um, and they, but the hospital was like a, a kind of um, a modern, a modernist building, and so they were just in this beautiful, special space um, all the time as a kid, you know, instead of daycare. Yeah. But but it really left a, an impression, and it associates um, times with their mother, etc. And then another uh, student works um, with his dad, who's an electrical engineer, and so all he he knew that how buildings were put together because he was always seeing buildings in that kind of framing stage before the wiring and stuff goes in, but he always wondered why there wasn't, he wanted to know more about the, the, the other side, the, the abstract side, the idea side. Mm -hmm. So getting those kind of stories out from, from our first class meant that I could better um, guide them 
through the semester. And so I think too much teaching, even though every school is different, every teacher is different, it's still top down. It's like, I know architecture better than you know architecture, mm -hmm. and you're going to learn it from me, and then you're going to go learn someone else and another class and, class and it's all fitting within one pedagogy of the school and uh, I think that's necessary and important and I don't want to make make trouble but <laughs> I think the driver of education should be the student okay. and, uh, and that if level of interest um, I I've been doing this for more than 20 years now and one of the reasons is because uh, even though I had a deep connection with architecture very early on in my life, I did not find the um, reception to me studying it on my own terms every time I entered a different school. Uh, that's very different than how arts education is. Um, you know, it, it's sometimes you are stuck in classes where you're painting the fruit bowl or whatever, but mm -hmm. Everybody knows by now that art is not just the painting on the wall. It's many, 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 many things. And the more sort of speculative it is, sometimes the more interesting and thought-provoking. And architecture education and design is still very entrenched about building skill sets for the workplace and not necessarily geared towards students' own way of thinking or their interests. Um, right. to design school in the first place. And I think it's something that I guess they should have to discover because our industry is so vast and so multifaceted. There are so many directions that these kids can take, but they might not necessarily know that it's available to them. And I think by expressing what they actually want to get out of this major, it doesn't even have to be an architecture nine to five desk job. Like we were saying, it can be, there's many people come, who have gone on to become shoe designers and, you know, they work for Nike. So when I was talking with one of my professors about, you know, like, why, why is, why is he here? What, what has led him to become a teacher? Cause he had a, he had a background in art as well. And he just wants, he told me that his job is to make sure people find their passion. He wants to help people find what they're passionate about. So it's again, like reminding, like kind of refreshing your mind. What, what, what do I want out of this? Because architecture is that kind of I guess, major when you're in school that you kind of think it just has to be this straight line when that's not necessarily the case. No, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing foundational training um, for a, a way to view the world. And so a lot of architects, I know like Ice Cube, for example, used mm -hmm. to study. Uh, so a lot of, there are a lot of people who have, um, made very interesting careers for themselves outside of architecture, um, like way outside of architecture, mm -hmm. um, but have a kind of um, mindset that, that comes from school and, and again, kind of a, a way to view the world, a way of, um, of problem solving um, in, in, in a, not necessarily uh, in a literal way, but kind of a way to um, organized uh, people also is a very, um, uh, you know, later, later on, um, you learn to work very much in groups and, and to lead groups because in the end, we talked a lot about collaboration, but it all does kind of um, go back to the architect. We do become kind of the conductor of mm -hmm. the orchestra. And, uh, and so there's nothing um, that says that you have to 
you know, use Revit for the next uh, 30 years to, to kind of use your education. Um, we can, as you said, um, can set you up for, for very excellent uh, career paths in, in different fields that touch um, design, construction, art. Uh, and I, I always encourage people to, to um, look, at, look at those other opportunities, especially if you're going to um, do something on your own. Yeah, and I think that's uh, another thing to note. I see in architecture school, going back to school, was kind of laying out that foundation. You have a lot of students who might be more on the artsy side and maybe aren't so technical. And then you have the technical people who may not be so artsy. So it's again like, and it's amazing to see how those students kind of class clash with each other or work side by side next to each other because you can look over at a desk next to you and the work might look completely different. But, and then you're looking at your work. So yeah, architecture school is a very, very interesting environment. It's, it's tricky because we have to teach to the middle. That's um, just unfortunately kind of the nature, but um, I always, also from day one, I also say that the students around you are your best resource. Um, I lived in the studio for three, uh, four years. I, I was a terrible student. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I failed architecture school twice, if you can believe it. Uh, so, uh, but I learned, uh, I learned a lot from my professors. I had great professors, but, uh, 110%, I learned way more from my fellow students. Um, and I, uh, I believe that what you're saying about the people who come with a technical interest and background versus those from a creative, um, and design background, uh, they, they couldn't be better to prop each other up and collaborate with each other and inform each other's uh, each other's work. Um, otherwise, honestly, school's not worth it. Uh, you can just go if you know Revit from high school. You can get a job in, in architecture and design. Mm -hmm. That's that's not what school is for. Um, I think that I think that uh, it's about more. You had to think. Teaches you how to think, and it teaches you how to um, use people around you as as a resource. And that's kind of, I guess, what you would see in the office setting. Then later on, again, just you like helping each other out, using the people next to you and around you. You do. Um, I would just, uh, just like yeah. Getting back to choosing a good workplace, right? Mm -hmm. There's a place that's not really about anything. The people who are there are, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're just there and they're looking. Everyone's kind of got one eye out the door hoping for something better. Um, I'm not sure that that's a, a healthy work environment to be in in terms of learning and growing because it's not just about what the product of the office is. Let's say maybe the principal's amazing, but the rest of the firm is so-so. You're going to learn something, but it's not the same as being at a place that's really dedicated, the people that are dedicated, and then you'll learn um, quite a lot, even if it's not the be-all, end-all for you. You yeah. can get a lot out of that experience and move on to the next one. But kind of um, if you aim for the middle in your career, it's, uh, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a harder road mentally. Yeah. Um, before we end things here, I just wanted to talk to maybe about like 
one of your favorite projects that have stood out to you throughout your uh, time working? That is a great question. I've had <laughs> that before. Um, well, because yeah, you uh, guys have just covered a lot, so I wonder which ones have stood out to you specifically for well, whatever reason. Um, I think that uh, if you ask that question of Renzo Piano, he would always say the office is his favorite project. I mean, I think that we uh, are the, the taller, taller can is, is my favorite project because it's a work in progress and it's something that's always growing and, um, and changing and becoming something else and, and um, showing maturity. Um, as a result, fundamental, the it kind of um, coming up with that in, in some sort of um, we, we invented fundamental, let's say, uh, as a result of um, losing a competition where we invested a ton of time and a ton of energy and a ton of resources and out of frustration, uh, I just thought if we had done this, we could have just built something and, and that's sort of uh, how the, how the uh, internship came about and, and trying to help people and solve problems uh, on our own. Um, I'm, I'm, we're very proud of that of that um, of that program again more than a project who knew uh, such a successful program could have come from some could have come from a failure you know i think that's important to note to people um uh if you imagine if you imagine like a, a curve right the mm -hmm. high point anytime then anytime i win an award or a prize or get an article or recognition or something that makes me um that most people um, work towards, mm -hmm. I get very upset because it means that I've reached a high and what's next is going down. Um, it's the moment where you get to the lowest points that are the best because you are always going to be going up from there on. So any failure that you've had along the way in school or personal life is always a great opportunity to just hit pause and take a different path and do things different. And it's always going to be better than the path that brought you to that low point. That was really great. That was, a, I think that was a great way to end things here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Greg, uh -huh. it was, it's been great. a pleasure talking with you. you um, if you can just let the people watching know where to reach you or taller Ken, either taller Ken's website or maybe, maybe even Instagram handle. So uh, you can find more information about our studio at at TollerKen Studio or TollerKen.info. You can also learn more about Fundamental at Fundamental Design Build or FundamentalDesignBuild.org. Thank you so much, Greg. This has been another episode of A Student's Perspective. We hope you liked this discussion with the design industry from a student's perspective. Please like, share, and comment, and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.